great way to set our thoughts for what we are about because God asked his son to carry that heavy cross, the weight of our sin, hope which was lost now stands renewed. And because of that, we can love God because he first loved us. We worship him because he is worthy of all that worship. And as a result of that, we can give our lives to honor him, our love and gratitude for what he has done for us. So uh, we are, in just a couple moments, going to continue in our study in Romans chapter 8. And we are going to, uh, Lord willing, partake in the feast, the meal that has been prepared for you. Uh, I was thinking about it this morning. If we were going to have chicken dinner, uh, somebody doesn't bring the live chicken and set it on your table and, and set the, uh, the broccoli head on the table and uh, set the... On the the lettuce there, they break it up for you and prepare it, and we trust that the Holy Spirit has prepared that meal for us uh, today. After we finish the meal at God's Word, we're going to share in the remembrance meal of the Lord's table at the conclusion of our service. So we'll be sharing in that commune and the Lord's table together. Uh, this is an invitation that's extended by Jesus himself to all of those who follow him and trust him to those who are in fellowship with Jesus and with one another. And to the degree that that describes you, you're invited to participate with us. But if there are doubts or uncertainties about your relationship with Jesus, please don't feel any pressure from what we are doing to participate in something that would make you feel uncomfortable. And perhaps you could use this time as we hear from God's word to reflect on your relationship uh, with him and what it would look like to be a follower of Jesus. So, as I said, we've been studying in Romans 8. We're going to continue that uh, in Romans 8, verses 26 to 30. I remind you, if you'd like to take notes, you have a note sheet there that you can take some notes, and we'll be following along with that outline as, as I go along. Uh, last week, we looked at Romans 8, verses 18 to 25, where God has provided the sure hope of the gospel that the great suffering of this life will one day give way to the greater glory we will receive as the children of God. The great suffering of this life will one day give way to the greater glory we will receive as the children of God from groaning to glory. And Paul says there's no comparing the two. You cannot compare the suffering that we go through now to the glory that will be revealed to us. Today's verses, as we get into... Uh, verses uh, 26 to 30 contains a very familiar verse for us, uh, Romans 8, 28. Uh, many of us, if not most of us who've been around the Bible for a while know it well. Uh, and so it, it'll show up anywhere. Uh, it can show up on a tapestry, a wall hanging. It can hang, show up as a T-shirt, show up as a pendant. It can show up as a, a glass weight you can put on your desk. It can show up even for your kids as a onesie. Uh, and the next one I actually learned from my wife, you can, we, this is one of the so-called coffee cup verses. Uh, it's one of those short, pithy, good news sayings that can show up anywhere and you can look at it and, and it makes you feel really good. I'm not taking away from the fact that God put it there, uh, but oftentimes we look at it in isolation uh, and uh, we can 
somebody's in the midst of trouble, and say, well, don't worry, all things work together for good. Well, I'm not sure that we can be so flippant with that. It's often misunderstood and misapplied because it's taken in isolation. Sometimes we mean that it's wishful thinking. If I just hang in there, everything will be fine. So if you're suffering, just hang in there. It's, it'll be all right. Uh, sometimes it's positive thinking that we want to claim. So we say, well, I don't want to claim any negative thoughts. I don't want to claim any negative things because that's what will happen to me. So I'm going to claim this positive thing. Uh, that will be fine. I think sometimes we use it to try to get some good karma. Uh, that is, if I do good things and, and think good thoughts, I'll get good results. So this verse is part of that of thinking good thoughts with this coffee cup verse. Uh, what I'm hoping to do is to realize that Romans 8.28 is indeed important for us to understand, but we really need to look the before and after to get a right understanding of what God is trying to tell us there. So we're going to read together here in Romans 8, 26 to 30, and we're going to see what God is doing here as we move from today's groaning to tomorrow's glory. Remember we talked about last week from groaning to glory. We have today's groaning that God has promised tomorrow's glory. Uh, today we're going to look at what God is doing as we make that journey from today's groaning to tomorrow's glory. So, if you will follow along with me and take your Bibles, this is going to be Romans 8, verses 26 to 30, and I'm going to be reading it out of the NIV, which is the Bible that's in the pew. I'll be teaching out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified... He also glorified. As we uh, continue, let's uh, just pause and ask the author of the book to grant us insight to what he would have us to learn today. Father, we thank you for the great truths of your word. We thank you for the great privilege we have to even have your words to us, that you have spoken to us, you have spoken to your people in ages past and have prompted them to write these things down and preserve them over the years that we have your words to us today. But they are just words on a page for many of us. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would make them living words to us, that they would come to change our hearts and lives, to be conformed with your image, with your will for our lives. I pray even as we talked about uh, earlier, that even an old verse that we are so familiar with, this Romans 8, 28, and somehow we would get a new perspective on that, uh, a new understanding of what you are doing in our lives. And we are grateful, again, for, that, for the truth of that song that we just heard, that you have asked your son to carry the heavy cross, our weight in sin, and because of that, hope which was lost now stands renewed. And so we're here to love you, to worship you, to honor you with our lives, and we trust that you will have your way with us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Okay, so we're going to dig in here to 8, 26 to 30. And if you look at uh, 26, he starts off saying that we have a weakness. We have a weakness. And if you look at that, what is that weakness that we have there? What is he saying is our weakness? Somebody. Somebody said it. We don't know what to pray for, right? And it's very interesting. He doesn't say we don't know how to pray. It's not a technique issue. It's a content issue. He says we don't know what to pray for as we ought. And you have to ask ourselves, well, why is that important that we don't know what to pray for? Well, in uh, 1 John 5, 13 to 15, uh, John says this, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked from him. So the problem is we don't know what to pray for. We groan under the weight of our suffering in this world. We rightly seek God for understanding and relief, but we don't know what to pray for. And the problem is, based on what God is saying here in 1 John 5, is that really if we want to be confident that God hears us, we need to be able to pray according to his will. We need to understand his will in the things that we're praying for. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the only one in this room who's done this. Over the years, I look back, I prayed for things that were clearly not God's will. The only thing they were was my will. They were my selfishness, sometimes even my sinful desires. And God didn't answer those. God didn't, didn't hear those in the sense of going to honor those. How much so in the midst of our suffering that we don't even understand why the suffering's coming. We don't understand what's going on in our lives. We don't know his will in every circumstance, so we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to pray for. And so that's a weakness that we have uh, that we don't know what to pray for. Well, what's God's answer to this? Uh, and we see that, in, again, in verses 26 and 27. And he starts off by saying the Spirit helps us. Likewise, he says, the Spirit helps us. Now, this likewise uh, is a very interesting word. It's very similar to the therefore that we've heard before, right? If you have therefore, you have to ask what the therefore is there for, right? You know that. So likewise refers back. Well, what's this referring back to? I think we have to go back to verse 16. Now, let's go to 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we don't know for sure we're children of God, but the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Then down to verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we, don't not know, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But here it comes, the Spirit himself. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. I just love the language there that the Spirit himself, this is the third time we've seen this language here in Romans 8. We're going to see it one more time three weeks from now in our last study in Romans 8. God does not leave these things to chance. He does not leave these things to us. He does not leave these things to other people. He does it himself. We see it in verse, in verse uh, 2. Verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of flesh. God sent his own son to us. He didn't, he didn't entrust this to anybody else. The verse we looked at in verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. 
In verse 26, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. God does for us himself what we cannot do. He doesn't entrust it to anyone else. I find that very touching, very personal, very sweet, if you will, as God deals with us. So how does the Spirit help us? Well, he helps us in two ways. The first is that he intercedes on our behalf. Again, look what he says there. He, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And again, catch the, catch the feeling here. It's very easy for us to catch the understanding, but sometimes we have to catch the feeling. We've already seen in verse 22 the creation is groaning. And in verse 23, we are groaning under the suffering of sin. What is the Spirit doing in verse 26? The Spirit is groaning. Creation's groaning. We're groaning. The Spirit is groaning. What is happening here? God, through the Holy Spirit, is entering into our suffering into the deepest, darkest places of our hearts where we don't even understand what's going on. And as we groan under the weight of the suffering and the difficulties of life, the Spirit is right there with us, groaning with us. He's entering into that suffering. And Paul says here that there are groanings too deep for words. Have you ever been in that situation where life has been such that it wasn't right, but you didn't even know how to put it into words? You tried and you tried and you tried and you tried and you just couldn't put it into words. Well, what's happening at that moment for those of us who are children of God, the Spirit himself is working in the depths of our hearts in the deepest, darkest places, interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. What does it mean to intercede? To intercede means one person coming between two other people. So there's a person here who'd like to get to know this person, and there's an intercessor. There's a person in the middle who represents each party to the other. And so here the, the Spirit is taking our groanings and entering into our groanings, and he's praying for us. He takes those groanings that we can't put into words and puts them into words for us. He takes the deepest longings of our hearts and prays on our behalf. So the first thing the Spirit does to help us is he intercedes on our behalf. But look what else he does then in verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that beautiful? He intercedes for us according to the will of God. Well, why is that important? Right? We already saw 1 John 5, 13, that if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. Paul says here in Romans, we have a weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. So what does the Spirit do? The Spirit dives into the depths of our heart. He understands those longings that we can't put into words. He puts them into words for us, prays them to the Father according to the will of the Father. He knows what God's will is for us. He knows what God's will is in that situation. So he takes those prayers and prays them for us to the Father. And he who searches hearts, well, who is that? That's the Father. The Father searches hearts. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He expresses those longings in a way that is according to God's will because he knows God's mind he knows God's will. He knows God's plan. He knows God's heart. 
The Spirit himself bridges the gap between us and God, accurately representing both sides. The Spirit himself bridges the gap between us and God, accurately representing both sides. He knows what the deepest longings and yearnings and pains and suffering of our heart is, and he translates those into words that are according to the will of God. And he represents God because he, he does represent us according to God's will. It's a, it's a beautifully touching thing when you think about what God is doing when you're in the throes of trying to figure out what to do and you have no idea what to do. If you're a God's child, what's going on at that very moment? The Spirit is groaning with you with word, with, um, with pains or with groanings that are too deep for words, and he's praying according to the will of the Father. I have two illustrations of that. Many of you know that I'm a medical doctor. This happens to me constantly. I'll have a person come to me, doctor, I don't feel well, I need a CAT scan. Okay. Uh, so they don't feel well. They don't know why they're not feeling well. They just, don't know, they just know they don't feel well, and their proposed solution is a CAT scan. So I sort of smile knowingly, usually inwardly, sometimes outwardly, and, uh, and say, okay, well, let's try to figure out what's going on so we'll see if you really need that CAT scan or not. So what is, what is their deepest desire? The CAT scan? No, they want to feel better. That's their desire. The CAT scan was the proposed solution. Have you ever done that? Come to God with a proposed solution without really knowing what the real need is? So what is my job? My job is to sit down, talk to them, examine them, find out what the real need is, what the real, where the pain is and what's going on, and then determine from the other side what the best test or treatment would be because their biggest goal is not to have a CAT scan. Their biggest goal is to feel better. And so that's an illustration of this same work that the Spirit is doing. Sometimes our expressed prayer, the, the thing that we bring specifically to God, is not what we really need and not even what we really want. But we don't know how to say it, and so the Spirit says it for us. I have another illustration I just thought of yesterday. I have a coworker. She and her husband and a few young children they decided they were going to move to uh, New Jersey. They lived in Pennsylvania, north of the city. They were going to move to New Jersey. They could buy more house for their money for their growing family. And they were going to sell their first house because they don't want to own two houses. And they gave themselves plenty of time to do that. And they prayed 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 that this house would sell and the house did not sell. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed that the house would sell and the house did not sell. They ended up owning two houses. They ended up not being able to sell the first house, having to buy the second house because they already put contract in on it. And I talked to my coworker, and she says, I was very angry with God because we needed to sell this house. We don't want to own two houses. I was very angry, and we were pray I was praying. I was doing everything I could possibly think of. You ever been there? Right? I'll go to church extra on Sunday. I'll read my Bible more. I'm doing everything I could, and God did not answer my prayer. What she didn't know at the time she was getting angry with God for not answering her prayer is that he was actually answering her prayer because the week that they moved to the new house in New Jersey, her husband was diagnosed with what turned out to be terminal brain cancer. Uh, he was just hospitalized uh, yesterday, and so we don't know the outcome of that yet. And they realized with the loss of his income, they could not support that second house. They needed to sell that house and move back to another house that was smaller 
less expensive, and closer to her work. And guess what house was available? The original house that had not sold. So what was her need to have one house, not two houses? What was her request? That the first house sell. And I told her, I said, you know, all that time you were getting angry, what is God doing? My child, I know what your need is. Trust me. I'm going to take care of this for you. I got it covered. I know you don't want to own two houses. I don't want you to own two houses. You just picked the wrong house that you're going to sell. So just this week, actually, she moved from that other house back to the original house. And I believe that's such a beautiful illustration of how God works in our lives. And this was a one-year process. You say, one year? Well, that's, that's a long time. On the other side of it, right? On this side, it doesn't seem so long. The Spirit, because the Spirit prays on our behalf and according to the will of God, God does not always give us what we ask for, but He always gives us what we need and are really asking for. Let me say that again. Because the Spirit prays on our behalf and according to the will of God, God does not always give us what we ask for, but He always gives us what we need and what we are really asking for and don't even know it because we can't put it into words. Well, let's move on to uh, Romans 8, 29 and 30. In the middle is verses 28, and it talks about God working here. God, those who love God, all things work together for good. God is at work on behalf. And so verse 28 refers to God's purpose. He refers to that for those who are called according to his purpose. In these verses 29 and 30, we find out what God's purpose is. So we see, first of all, that God is at work. God is at work, and he's working according to his purpose. And what is God's purpose? If you look in verse 29, it's in the middle. He also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. God's purpose for us is to conform us to Jesus' image. That's God's purpose for your life. God's purpose for your life is not health, happiness, wealth, success, well-being. God's goal for your life, God's purpose for your life is that you would be conformed to the person of Jesus Christ, that your life, your character, your person would be conformed to his. So that, he says, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Basically, that means he, he's going to be the eldest of a large family. Jesus is to be the eldest brother of a large family, and we are that family that God is working to conform us to his image. Well, look what he does here to do that, to conform us, starting in verse 29. For those, and this is his plan, so God has his purpose to conform us to his image. This is his plan. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So God's purpose is to conform us to the image of his son. His plan here is his foreknowledge, his predestination, his calling, his justification, and his glorifying. So those whom God foreknew, 
we could talk a long time about God's foreknowledge. Basically, that, what that means is God's not surprised. God's not surprised. He doesn't wake up some morning and say, ooh, how did that happen? Uh, ooh, I wasn't expecting that. No, God's foreknowledge means he's not surprised. He knows everything from, he knows the end from the very beginning. He knows it all. And then, because of that foreknowledge of what he knows and what he sees and what his plans are, he predestined, he determined ahead of time, he came to the decision ahead of time that we would be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he predestined, then he called, he extended the invitation, he summoned, he invited, he asked us to accept his hospitality of accepting his plan for us in Jesus Christ. He, he invites us to accept the reality that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, was raised again from the dead, and is coming again for us. And those whom he called, he justified. He cleared from guilt. He declared to be right. That's how we are justified. That's how we are made right before God, not because of what we do, because of what Jesus has done. When he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our for our sin. He died the death that we should die. When he rose from the dead, he conquered death to give us new life. And so those who accept God's invitation, God justifies. He regards them as innocent. He clears them from guilt. Not because he just says, oh, it's okay, I don't care. No, because Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the penalty. And those whom he justified, he glorified. He magnified. He raised to a heavenly condition. It's basically what that word's referring to. He glorified. He raised us to a heavenly condition. Jesus was glorified when he went back to the Father after his suffering. When Jesus comes back for us, we will be glorified with him. It's important that we notice a couple things here. Who is doing the predestining, the foreknowing, predestining, calling, justifying, and glorifying? Who's doing it? God's doing it, right? He foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. God is the one who is doing all of this. And what verb tense are these expressed in? They're all the past tense. You say, okay, well, duh. But let me show you a little illustration of why I think that's important. It's more than just a duh. So this timeline, that represents now. Now is, the, is human history, right? And it's not right today. It's, it's human history. And compared to now, there is eternity past and there's eternity future. I didn't know who else to put up there, so I took a selfie. Um, so there's me. Uh, and uh, this is not to scale. I have no idea where we're living on this time frame. But, so if we put these words up here, we see that God foreknew he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. God foreknew and he predestined. That occurred in eternity past. Called and justified, that happened during our time. There was a time in my life he called me. He extended the invitation to me just as he's extended the invitation to you right now if you don't know him, if you're not his child. He, he's extending that invitation. And then he justified me. So I put myself on the other side of justification because he, he made me right, not because of who I am, but because of what Jesus did for me. And then he glorified me. Well, that doesn't happen until eternity future. What is the significance that something that hasn't happened yet is spoken of is the past tense? It means it's so sure that it's going to happen, God can talk, at, talk about it as if it's already done. I think that's an amazing thing. I'm not yet glorified, but I am glorified right? 
I am glorified because God is promising that it's going to happen. Not only did he foreknow, predestine, call, and justify, he's going to glorify me. He's going to glorify you. He's going to glorify all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And the fact that he puts something in the future in the past tense means it's as good as done. It's as good as God is considering it done. It's finished. God has covered everything from eternity past to eternity future, from foreknew to glorified. He's left nothing to us. He personally guarantees its success. God is personally guaranteeing the success is that we move from groaning today to glory tomorrow, that we are going to get there successfully, not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of who he is and what he's done. We need to hold on to that. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on what he's already done. Well, let's spend the last few moments uh, thinking it through here. Back to verse 28. All things work together for good. All things work together for good. Well, we have to ask two questions. Well, for who do all things work together for good? Well, he says, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, That really means the same thing, those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. That's just two different ways of saying the same thing. All things work together for good. They work together for good for those who are rightly related to God through Jesus Christ, those who are called according to God's purpose to conform us to the image of his Son, those of us who accepted God's invitation to come to Jesus Christ, to trust in him and not ourselves for our salvation. That's who this is for. It's you who love God, you who are called according to his purpose, you who by faith in God are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So that's who it's for. Well, how's it going to come to pass? How does it come to pass? And we've already seen that. God is personally guaranteeing its success in the midst of our suffering. The fact that all things are going to work together for good, it works together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, because the Spirit himself intercedes for us according to the will of God. And God himself works on our behalf, doing all that you need from groaning to glory, from foreknew to glorified. God himself is working. So the Spirit helps us by working within us and expressing to the Father our needs And God is at work to accomplish his purposes for us through our lives and into eternity. So what does it mean that all things work together for good? It means that God is working in and through your suffering in this world. He transforms our suffering into a tool that he uses to fulfill his purpose to make us like Jesus. And he does it in his time and his way, not your time and your way. He takes the suffering of our lives and transforms it into a tool that he uses to conform us to the image of Christ. We're going to look a little bit more at that next week as we uh, take a larger section of these verses and look at what he says about our suffering in Christ. So if you are an unbeliever, that is someone who does not know that you're a child of God, God is calling to you. He's extending the invitation to you to respond to that invitation to become his child through faith in Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, so that indeed all things will work together for good for you. So just to tell someone who's suffering, oh, don't worry, it'll all work together for good, it's a little short-sighted, and it may not even apply to them if they're not God's child. 
What about if you're a believer? When you are in the midst of suffering today, all right, if it doesn't happen today, it'll happen tomorrow. God is inviting you into a deeper relationship with him to trust him in new ways. Just like my coworker, she was in, God was inviting her into a deeper relationship with him to trust him in new ways that she could not see. Come to God with your groanings. You don't have to be able to get the words right because the Spirit is interceding on your behalf. That doesn't mean we don't try to understand the mind of God and we try to pray according to his will and just offer some flippant prayer and say, okay, the Holy Spirit will take care of it. No, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about where we are really seriously seeking God. We just don't know what to pray for. The Spirit is there. And then, here's a big one, agree with God's plan for your life. That's where we have trouble. Agree with God's plan for your life. What's his plan? That you be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. God's purpose is not to change your circumstances, but to change you. We want our circumstances changed. We want relief. We want the pain to go away. We don't want to have to have the surgery. We don't want to have to have the cancer. We don't want to have the heart attack. We don't want to lose the house. We don't want to lose the job. But those are irrelevant factors when the God of the universe has everything under control. God's purpose is not to change your circumstances, but to change you. Our suffering is an opportunity for us to come to God and trust him in new ways. It's not to say it doesn't hurt. It's not to say it's not suffering. But we need, our goals need to be high enough if our goal is, goes no further than relief of suffering, our goal is not high enough. We need to set our goal to be conformed to the image of his son. We need to ask God to use our suffering and our difficulties to make us like him. And God is working according to his purpose to conform you to the image of his son. He has promised it, and he will do everything that is necessary to guarantee complete success. He has promised, and he will do all that is necessary to guarantee complete success. We need to rest in that. And so what is our job now? Our job now is just to learn what it is to live as a child of God, as a son or daughter of God, out of gratitude, honoring the one who gave himself for us. We don't have to work to make God happy. He can't be any happier with us. It's living out what it means to be a son or daughter of God. Well, as we transition to the Lord's table, I invite those who will be helping us in serving to come. We come together as a community of God's children now to honor and remember what God has done for us to free us from the condemnation of sin in order to conform us to the image of his son. We honor and remember what God has done for us to free us from the condemnation of sin in order to conform us to the image of his son. So as we turn from the meal of his word, we turn our attention to the memorial meal of this Lord's table that we'll share together.